Hear the word of the Lord from Exodus chapter 6, verse 28, to chapter 7, verse 13. On the day the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I am telling you. But Moses replied in the Lord's presence, Since I am such a poor speaker, how will Pharaoh listen to me? The Lord answered Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and Aaron your brother will be your prophet. You must say whatever I command you, then Aaron your brother must declare it to Pharaoh so that he will let the Israelites go from his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Pharaoh will not listen to you, but I will put my hand into Egypt and bring the military divisions of my people the Israelites, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the Israelites from among them. So Moses and Aaron did this. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh tells you perform a miracle, Tell Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh. It will become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and did just as the Lord had commanded. Aaron threw down his staff before Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a serpent. But then Pharaoh called the wise men and sorcerers, the magicians of Egypt, and they also did the same thing by their occult practices. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a serpent." But Aaron's staff swallowed their staffs. However, Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he did not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. May God bless the reading of his word. Thank you. All right. So, yeah, we're going to be in uh, Exodus. Wait, I forgot a chapter. I just put it up there. Uh, at the end of 6 into 7. All right, Exodus at the end of 6 into 7. I'm excited this morning. You know, one of the things I want to, to cultivate uh, in our church is just, um, just honesty about where we are, honesty about where we are uh, personally. And so last Monday, I, I had this experience of just deep depression. It kind of hit me out of nowhere. And uh, some of y'all have been with us a while. Y'all know I've, there's a period about a decade-ish ago I went through a couple of years of depression, and it reminded me of that. As I was really alarmed, I didn't want to get out of bed. Uh, I was really agitated, and that that whole day, I felt like that. And so, that that morning, the next morning on Tuesday, I set aside some time, and I was like, "Lord, what what is going on? Lord, I need you to help me. Like, I don't know what's going on in my heart." Um, and one of the things that the Lord shared with me is, hey, you need to share what's going on with people in the church. So I called one of the elders of the church, and I said, I need to talk. I said, I'm having, I'm having some, some stuff going on in my own heart. And so we had a conversation, and we prayed, and sought the Lord. And, and one of the reasons I felt so overwhelmed on that Monday is because I was feeling the burden of, of shepherding, of chasing people who walked away down, of reaching the lost. And what I, what I really felt was, I was like, I'm not sufficient for this. That there is so much stuff going on, so many hurting people. I do not feel like I'm, like I feel like I don't even have the time in the day to help 
people. I, don't, I just don't, I don't know what to do. And I'm, I'm frustrated. I know that within my own power, I can't just change people. And, and I realize afresh that I was in a spiritual battle. And if I'm honest, I doubted my ability to fight well. Okay. But the Lord really spoke to me as, as I prayed to him, as I shared my burdens with uh, other brothers, and as I looked in the scripture really to prepare for the sermon. And, and the, 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 the theme of what I think the text is saying to us this morning is that God wins spiritual battles through obedient image bearers. Listen, not all-knowing image bearers, not all-powerful image bearers, not never-tiring image bearers, but obedient image bearers. So let's get into the text. Lord, I, I pray that you would open up the scriptures for us this morning and that you would speak your word to calm and soothe our hearts, that we would see your glory, we would see um, how worthy you are of our obedience, and that you would give us the strength to obey you by the power of the Spirit. All right, so we always say something. Context is Context is king. Context is king. So what, what happened leading up to this particular passage? The people of Israel were in a time of extreme oppression, even worse than at the beginning of the book of Exodus. So Exodus chapter 5, this is the first confrontation between Moses and Pharaoh. And Moses goes up to Pharaoh, the Lord says, let my people go. And let's just say it didn't go so well. All right, it didn't go so well. So in Exodus 5, verse 9 through, verse 6 through 9, it says, That day, the day that Moses first came to Pharaoh, that day Pharaoh commanded the overseers of the people as well as their foremen, don't continue to supply the people with straw for making bricks as before. They must go and gather straw for themselves, but require the same quota of bricks from them as they were making before. Do not reduce it. For they are slackers. This is why they are crying out, let's go and sacrifice to our God. Impose heavier work on the men. Then they will be occupied with it and not pay attention to deceptive words. Now listen, can y'all imagine the discouragement of Moses? He has this experience with God in the burning bush. He's like, oh man, God's got my back. He goes up to Pharaoh. He's like, let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, you know what? I'm not. And I'm going to make it worse. Moses is like, well, dog, I don't. I don't know about you, but sometimes the, the spiritual battles that we face seem overwhelming. Yeah? Is it just me, or have you ever felt overwhelmed in your life? You're like, if, is there another punch coming? I feel like I'm trying to obey, and it just, oh, this, it, it just, I feel like I'm running to the ground. All right, this, this is the, the picture of the people of Israel at that time, because when Pharaoh imposed this greater burden, the people of Israel were like, why did, Moses, why did you even come over here? We was doing all right. <laughs> You trying to stand up, that's nice and everything, but you done messed it up. Why did you come? Imagine the discouragement he felt. And then let's take a minute and look at, at his enemy. So Pharaoh, I want you to understand this, Pharaoh saw himself as the image of a god and the god's rep representative. This is from the encyclopedia. See, it's like, uh, look, the, uh, the Egyptians believed their Pharaoh to be the mediator between the gods and the world of men. So, so in Egyptian culture, the Pharaoh had a divine status. He wasn't just a king. He was someone to, to be feared, to be worshipped. 
He owned a large portion of Egypt's land and directed its use, was responsible for his people's economic and spiritual welfare, and dispensed justice to his subjects. That's the idea of, of who he is up against. It was, it was, he had this incredible power, and he used his power to oppress. Right in the beginning of the book, we saw that he was killing uh, all the male children. He is, is enslaving people and making their work ridiculous. And this, what's interesting is this idea of being uh, the representative of a god or the image of God. I want you to understand something, that the Egyptians did not make that up. It actually goes back to Genesis 1. Genesis 1 says, then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So, so what, what Pharaoh is doing is he is actually making a perversion of what God intended for humanity. God created humans to be his image bearers, to reflect his character. Yeah? And Pharaoh is, is taking this idea, this idea, and he is utterly abusing it. Showing an image of God that is not accurate, yeah? So, so listen, listen, listen. Uh, we were supposed to reflect God like, like, like a picture. Now, when, what happens when you take a picture again is because the picture was blurry, right? Like, I can't quite see what it was supposed to see. Listen, but, but we're supposed to be a clear picture of the character of God. And God created humans to take the raw material of the earth and to bless others with it. Not simply to amass it, not to hoard it, not to abuse people with it. And so what's, what's interesting is in the person of Pharaoh, we see the perversion of really what all of humanity does, right? Takes the power that is given to them by God and uses it to oppress people. Now, what's interesting, you have this battle between Pharaoh, who is this image of these Egyptian gods, and what God does in response is God sends his image bearers to defeat evil. Look at chapter 7, verse 1. The Lord answered Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and Aaron, your brother, will be your prophet. You must say whatever I command you, then Aaron, your brother, must declare it to Pharaoh so that he will let the Israelites go from his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Pharaoh will not listen to you, but I will put my hand, uh, put my hand into Egypt and bring the military divisions of my people, the Israelites, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. Now, if you're reading the scripture, you, that, that verse one should have cost you. I'd have made you like God. Now, if somebody said that to you just out the street. Yo, by the way, uh, God has made me like him. You'd be like, huh? What, what, is, what does this mean? But again, what does this go back? This goes back to Genesis 1, this idea of image, of accurate representation. Moses was to be an accurate representation of God. So instead of Pharaoh, who was oppressing the weak, Moses was supposed to be a defender of the weak. Yeah? He was supposed to call people towards faithfulness. And, and Moses and Aaron, they were to faithfully proclaim God's word. Their words were to reveal the will of God. So, so, so God sees this, this, this prideful Pharaoh who sees himself as this image and representation of the gods. And he says, the way I'm going to combat that is I'm going to send you someone who will image me correctly. What's interesting is, is, is Pharaoh is the image of another power. Jesus says something crazy in John 8. He says, you, he's talking to people who don't obey God, you are of your father, 
the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. So, so, so Pharaoh was this image of another power, which, which Jesus would say this other power he's imaging is that of Satan. This, this, this desire to kill and to destroy. This points to the danger of sin. See, Jesus doesn't actually give us an option. He says, when you do an act, you are siding with one side or the other. Yeah? You are siding with God because you reflect his desires, or you are siding with the devil because you reflect his desires. In other words, he's saying, you are always picking a side in the spiritual battle. There's never a day of your life when you're not deciding which team you're on. Even when you think you're chilling. Even when you're like, well, I'll just do this little thing. No, you are picking a side. You are reflecting either God or the enemy. Now, what's so interesting is we need to understand God is a God of grace, and he actually gives Pharaoh an opportunity to repent. Actually, if you read the book of Exodus, a lot of them. It's a lot of opportunities. If you read the text, it says that God hardens his heart. But when you read the story as it goes through, the one who hardened his heart first was Pharaoh. He's the one who did, like, God said, let my people go, does a miracle, and Pharaoh hardens his heart. It happens again. God does a miracle, hardens his heart. Then after a while, it just says, then God just hardened his heart. But he, he actually began the process of the hardening. What we need to understand is that, that one of the signs of God's judgment is the hardening of the heart. In Romans 128, it says, because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they do not do what is right. When we think of God's judgment, we think of fire and rain and all this stuff coming down. But listen, one of the surest signs of God's judgment is apathy towards spiritual things. That when God just said, you, you want to do that, then you go ahead and do that. That, that is one of the surest signs of judgment. That's one of the things that alarms me. Most. Listen, if you come to me and you are convicted by sin, that's awesome. Praise God. But if you don't care, that is a sign that you have been given over. And so even, even in Pharaoh's disobedience, God actually uses the disobedience of his enemies to display his glory and accomplish his purposes. If you look at verse 5, he says, The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the Israelites from among them. The idea is this. Like, if Pharaoh just would have done the stuff, yeah, okay, you can have them. We wouldn't have seen some glory. But God uses the sinfulness of his own enemies to display his power and his glory. This goes back to what Joseph said in Genesis 50, verse 20. He's talking to his brothers who had sold him into slavery, left him for dead. He said, you planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. I don't know about you. When, when I see things that, that it seems like the enemy is winning the spiritual battle, I'm like, man, doggone it. <laughs> is this going to work? I see disobedience, disobedience even in my own heart. Is, it, is this going to work? But, but listen, listen, God takes the works of the enemy 
and makes them turn out for his own glory. Now let's jump down to verse 5. We can see that there's a real spiritual battle going on. Verse 10. Uh, excuse me, verse 10. So Moses and Aaron went in to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord had commanded. Aaron threw down his staff before Pharaoh and his officials and became a serpent. But then Pharaoh called the wise men and sorcerers, the magicians of Egypt, and they also did the same thing by their occult practices. Each one threw down his staff and it became a serpent, but Aaron's staff swallowed their staff. I want to point a couple things out to you. So I think we would agree that Moses and Aaron are in a spiritual battle, yeah? It seems pretty spiritual, yeah? So, so what, what did they do? Uh, they, they did at least three things. We learned that God's people fight spiritual battles by prayer, obedience, and proclamation of God's Word. Prayer, obedience, and proclamation of God's Word. At the beginning of it, Moses is talking to God. He's just completely honest with him. But, but, but Moses is praying, speaking to God. And then, then Moses was told to go back to his people and to Pharaoh. Now, you need to understand this was a dangerous thing for him. The last time he was with his people, they were like, you ain't even a judge over us. Get away from me. And the last time he was with Pharaoh, Pharaoh wanted to kill him. So the obedience was a costly one, yeah? Right? But he obeyed. He went and, 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 and went to the people that God told him to go to. And not only that, Moses told his people and Pharaoh what God had said. Those are the things that Moses and Aaron did. Now, I want you to imagine how futile this would have been if God didn't intervene. Like, imagine, like, they say this word, and then he throws a staff down, and it's still a staff. That would have been awkward, right? Yeah. <laughs> Boom, look at that. You know, like that, but, but here's the interesting thing. What they did in, conspa- in comparison to what God did is pretty small. They prayed, they obeyed, and they spoke God's word. And then God showed up to display his power. Listen, this points to the fact that there is real spiritual evil active in the world. I don't know, maybe the first time you, you might have read this, like God did a miracle, but they did something too, Yeah. Like they threw, Moses threw this, uh, Aaron threw the staff down, comes a snake out of it. They're like, see, what's up? What you going to do now? And then it, uh, the Egyptians are like, ha ha, I could do it too. There is, there is real spiritual evil, not fake, and it's not in your head. There is real spiritual evil at work in the world. There are seen and unseen spiritual evil in this world. Listen, listen, I have, I've had friends who have been involved, involved in the occult before they came to Christ. And it's not fake, right? I know people who have been in Wicca and who have done witchcraft, who have cast spells on people, and it worked. There is real spiritual evil. I've seen demonic oppression. There is real spiritual evil. And at the same time, there's unseen spiritual evil too. The Bible talks about something called deceitful desires. Have you ever wanted something, then you got it, and it was sinful, and immediately when you did it, you were like, why did I just do that? That's your desires that just deceived you. It's a secret spiritual evil whispering in your ear. Whether it's seen or unseen, there is real spiritual evil. Now, what happens in the story is, you see, Moses hard his heart, right? But God sends 10 more signs or plagues to convince Pharaoh. Plagues are water turning into blood, frogs, lice, flies, livestock pestilence, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and finally the killing of the firstborn children. 
you'll see that, that these, these things get more intense over time. And turning a stick to the snake, is, that, that's one thing. But the firstborn children to die, and that's a whole other thing. And also, if you read the story, the Egyptians' ability to copy or combat them diminished over time. Yeah? After a while, even Pharaoh's own magicians and advisors were like, look, man, look, look, we can't do that. <laughs> we can do some stuff, but we can't do that. You better listen. Nevertheless, verse 13 says, however, Pharaoh's heart was hard and he did not listen to them as the Lord said. But yet God defeated the enemy through his own foolishness. Yeah. First, Pharaoh hardens his heart, then God hardens it further. Now, if, you ever, if you've never uh, seen the movie The Prince of Egypt, it's good. It's, it's a cartoon. It's an overview of this stuff, okay? But what we find out is that through these successive miracles, through these successful divine acts, and finally through this deliverance of God's people, through the Red Sea, we see that God's hand is strong, that he has power to deliver his people. And what's interesting is that God's power was uniquely revealed in human rebellion. Yeah? If, Mo, if, if Pharaoh just said, Yah can go, well, they just would have went. And I guess that would have been good too. But we wouldn't have seen miracles. We wouldn't have seen the glory of God display. We wouldn't see the, the Red Sea partless. And God used that rebellion to display his glory. And what is revealed in this text is, is a pattern that ultimately points to Jesus. Listen, ultimately God sent his perfect image bearer to defeat evil. The Bible says that, that Jesus is the perfect image of God. Hebrews 1.3, it says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature. So much so that Jesus said, If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. And then, what, are the, what are the types of things that Jesus did? See, Christ Jesus, he prayed faithfully. He obeyed perfectly. And he said only what the Father said. He was the perfect expression of who God is. And because he was that perfect expression, the enemy sought to destroy him. But God defeated the enemy through his own foolishness. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 7, it says, On the contrary, we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, a wisdom God predestined before the ages of our glory. Get this, verse 8. None of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom because if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Yeah? So that, that, that there is a real spiritual enemy that did real damage to Christ Jesus that actually killed him and murdered him. And through that act, God accomplished our salvation. Christ defeated the enemies of God. Through his death and resurrection. Look, Colossians 2.15, he, he being Jesus, he disarmed the rulers and the authorities and disgraced them publicly when he triumphed over them. Let's talk about his death and resurrection. So, so the resurrection of Jesus was God using the evil of the enemy to accomplish the glory of our salvation. 
Now listen, I don't know about you, but that gives me some encouragement when I'm in the middle of my life and things don't look so awesome. Yeah? I'm like, this, this is not going the way I wanted it to go. That person's not doing what I want them to do. I think what I want them to do is good. You know, like, it's just not going the way that I think would be ideal. And if we just observed it from in the moment, if you were just the disciples on Good Friday, yeah? If you're just looking at what seems like the enemy winning, if that's all you could see, you would be stuck in despair. But if you understood this divine pattern, that when the enemy seems like he's winning, that is God setting up to display his glory, we can have hope. Yeah, that, that when it looks the, the worst that it could look, we understand that it is God's pattern to consistently use the, the devices of spiritual evil, flip them around and show off his glory and save his people. That means we got to be careful when we're discouraged, yeah? We might like, oh man, it ain't going to work like that. I'm sure Moses and Aaron was like, oh snap. They got snakes like we got snakes. You know what I'm saying? The disciples are like, he said he was the Messiah and he just died. What are we supposed to do now? But listen, don't lose heart. Because it is God's pattern to win spiritual battles. Even when it seems like his people are losing. This is, this, this is a pattern. Listen, and, and here's the craziest thing. If you are in here and you haven't yet decided to follow Jesus, I just want to encourage you, do not harden your heart to him. Yeah? Because if you harden your heart to his call, then your heart will be hardened by him. That, that would be his judgment on you. That if you harden your heart to him, then his judgment on you is that your heart will remain hard and get harder. But listen, God gets glory whether in your judgment or in your salvation. So my encouragement to you would be, why don't you let it be your salvation? Yeah, he's going to get glory either way. But it will go better for you if you would seek him out. Now listen, we've been talking about this spiritual battle, this idea, and I just want to, want, to, want to emphasize, how do we fight spiritually? Yeah, if we agree that we're in a spiritual battle, what is it that we do? The quintessential example of a spiritual fight is Jesus in the wilderness. Y'all remember that? Jesus fasted for 40 days, then Satan approached him. That, that, that is the paradigm for spiritual battle. And what's interesting, Jesus did a couple things. He prayed, yeah. He'd been praying for 40 days, right? But he prayed. He obeyed. Yeah, the Satan said, turn, turn this, this bread, this rock into bread. He's like, no, <laughs> that's not what God wants me to do. And then if you listen closely, he also spoke God's word. Every single time that a lie from the enemy was spoken to him, he responded with Scripture. See, when we think about spiritual warfare, we probably have like these, we probably like think of Halloween or something, but, but, but I want you to think about spiritual warfare is Jesus and the devil standing there talking to each other. That's spiritual warfare. And listen, listen, I want you to have this paradigm. This is from, uh, this is a quote from a book um, about spiritual warfare called Live No Lies. It says, this is the working theory of how we fight the devil. Listen up. We practice the spiritual disciplines laid down by Jesus, such as silence and solitude, prayer, fasting, 
and Scripture and continually set our minds before the Spirit and truth of God. When we're tempted, we stand in quiet trust in God's love and wisdom and bring our minds back to Scripture. That, that is, I'm telling you, that's not the common practice of spiritual battles. You think, we think about like, the, you know, there's this, this, this huge fight and we got to be yelling and screaming and da-da-da, all this kind of stuff. No, no, the paradigm is this, is that you would saturate your mind in Scripture, that you would pray, that you would obey, and that you would speak God's Word. Now, here's the craziest thing. In this, this idea of spiritual battle, the powerful one isn't you. Right? If you, throw the, if you throw the staff down and don't turn into a snake, you, what's up? You know? Right? But, but, but if we obey God and trust in Him, He is the one that gives us victory. And so, so I want you to see that that's why, we, that's, that's why we want to saturate our services with Scripture. That's why we're always telling you to read the Scriptures. Listen, you can see Scripture as a foundational discipline. Scripture gives you the words to pray. I don't know what to pray. Read the Bible. You'll figure out something. Scripture outlines what obedience to God looks like. Yeah? Scripture gives you truth to combat lies. So so if you want to be prepared for a spiritual battle, you must get into the text of Scripture. Because you need to understand the battle, the battle is about truth versus lies. And if you would believe in the truth, that you would stand steadfast in prayer, and that you would speak the truth, you can have confidence that God will fight on your behalf. Now, as I close, I just want to ask this question. Why did all this encourage me? I told you I wasn't feeling so well. Why did this encourage me? This encouraged me because I saw that it was my responsibility to pray, obey, and speak the word of God. But it was God's responsibility to show his power and his glory. Yeah? In comparison, our responsibilities is kind of lopsided. He's got the greater one, okay? But I thought, man, if, if I can just seek to image him faithfully, if I can just seek to pray, if I can just seek to obey him, if I can just see, seek to speak his word, I have this confidence from the scriptures that he will fight on my behalf. So this is a call for us to take, uh, take the spiritual battle seriously, to pray, obey and speak God's word. Let's pray. Father, we, we bless you. We honor you. Lord, I thank you for the scriptures that, that just tell us about your character. Lord, without your scriptures, we would be confused and, and depressed and, and deceived. But Lord, you give us your truth in the text. Father, I pray that you would strengthen your church to stand firmly on your word. Would you give us a spirit of prayer? Would you give us uh, uh, this desire for obedience in every area of life? And would you give us confidence and boldness to speak your word? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.